Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for your worship team here at First Baptist Church Brunswick? Wow. What a moment of worship. That's a new song to me, but I hope it's going to be an old song. I'm going to hope to learn it and be singing it for a long time. Take your Bible this morning and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 in the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and you'll be ready for the reading of the Word in just a few moments. My name is Owen Bozeman, and I am filling the pulpit today for Dr. Chris Winford. Uh, Chris and his family are out of town this weekend, as you know. Uh, He is going to be entering into treatments this week uh, for the cancer that he's facing. And so they're taking this uh, Sunday away. And he'll be back on Mother's Day. And I know you'll be glad to see him here. But I've known Chris uh, for 20 years this year. I met him 20 years ago. And he is a man of great character and strength and integrity. And I think you know that. And I am so grateful to have the privilege to preach for him today. And it's sort of set up that I may be doing that some more, depending on how his treatments go. Uh, So perhaps you'll have a familiar face when he is not here. But by your prayers and by the grace of God, uh, we are believing that God is going to do a great miracle in his life. And that whatever and however he comes through these treatments now in the months ahead, that God will get the glory. Amen? Now, I want to speak today on the subject, faith, the family, and the future. Faith, the family, and the future. We're entering a a period of time, uh, beginning in the month of May, where we have a number of special events and occasions, even rites of passage that, that you'll be going through as a church family and as families in general. There's Mother's Day, and there's parent child dedication, there's graduation. Anybody graduating coming up? Yeah, and then we got uh, uh, Father's Day at the end of the cycle in June, Memorial Day sandwiched in between, and so uh, these are great days, and they are special days in your life, in the life of our nation, in our family's lives, and certainly uh, in the life uh, of your church. And so I, I was thinking about that, and so I wanted to preach a message that would sort of kick us off for that. You know, uh, many of these occasions are about family. Uh, last week... Uh, my, one of my middle granddaughters uh, turned five years old, and that's a big deal, uh, turning five, going on 15. Anybody know what I mean? Say amen. <laughs> and we had a little cake and ice cream and opened some presents at our house. And after the kids were gone off playing, uh, you know, my daughter was sharing with me that she had been having fellowship, and she's a children's ministry director at the church I pastored for so long back in Warner Robins, and, and they were fellowshipping with another minister's family, and they were discussing, well, how are we going to raise our kids? Now, we're always talking about that, but what she was talking about is how in the world are we going to raise our kids in this generation that we find ourselves in, and this really what many people are calling a, a postmodern, post-Christian culture How are we going to raise our kids in a culture that has gone off the rails in many ways? 
But I want to remind you today that this is not the first and the last time that, that we're going to face times like this uh, as families and as a nation and as individuals and as churches. And I think back, uh, all the way back to the Old Testament. You know, the people of Israel had been released from, from their... Uh, time in Egypt and they had been out in the wilderness wandering and they were about to enter into the promised land and, and, uh, and we find this great verse in Joshua 24 15 where Joshua says and challenges the people if it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord choose for yourselves today who you will serve but as for me and my house we will serve the Lord and for a growing number of increasingly vocal groups in our country and culture, they find it disagreeable to serve the Lord, and they find that they have made their choice to not do that. Sometimes I get the feeling they don't want us to have a choice to do that, but it's not their choice, amen? It's our choice, a choice that you've got to make, that I've got to make, and that we've got to stand on. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But how do we do that? Well, that's, we're going to come to 1 Timothy now in, in the New Testament. I'm going to ask you to stand together in honor of the reading of God's Word from 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Version, which Brother Chris uses here on Sundays and also is your uh, Bible that is, you can find nearby in the chairs in front of you. But the last chapter of 1 Timothy 6, where in verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time, he who is blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Verse 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Did you see the stock market Friday? <laughs> but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. O oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter, I want to read Twitter there. And the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace to you and grace to you. Thank you for standing. Thank you for being here today. May God bless the reading of his word. I think this text brings to mind three things that or right in the title of my message today that, that I think are important to look at as we're seeking to navigate our children, our young people, our teenagers, our young adults, our grandchildren uh, through the generation that we're in. And the first one is very simple, faith. Faith, there, there are many things that we cannot control 
around us in the world today, but one thing that is clearly within our reach is faith. And that's why Paul says in verse 2, fight 12, fight the good fight of faith. You know, we don't generally put fighting and faith together, do we? But we should. Have you been following the story of the football coach out in Washington State who lost his job because after the game was over, he would simply go to the middle of the field, kneel down, and perhaps other students would join him, and he would pray an almost inaudible prayer and then get up and go. Now, we've seen that in college football and after pro games where all the Christians gather in the middle and they, and they pray, but for some reason the school system took exception to this, and in the end they fired him. They dismissed him. But this is a case he decided to fight, and I'm glad that he is, and he decided to take up that fight, and that is currently being debated before the Supreme Court of the United States. And I love that. I love that he decided to fight it. And I think it, it's a good fight. But what does Paul have in mind uh, for Timothy when he's talking about it? What, fight the good fight of faith. Well, first of all, I think he's challenging him about the significance of his personal faith in God. Paul reminds Timothy to fight for the faith to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And this looks back to when Timothy became a believer. Think back to when you became a believer. If we look across the page to, to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 5, we read these very familiar words where Paul says, I am reminded of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and I am sure is in you as well. And so a foundation of faith was laid for Timothy's life by his mother and his grandmother, his family. And at some point, though, Timothy had to step up and he had to make the good confession of faith. And I imagine that's when he was baptized. And he probably said, Jesus is Lord or Jesus is in my Lord in front of many witnesses. Last week, you had some folks baptized, amen? And they made the good confession. And they stood up and they said, Jesus is Lord. And that's exciting. You know, as parents, as grandparents, we should be fervently praying for each of our kids and grandkids to make that good confession of faith. This week is the National Day of Prayer. And I hope you're going to participate Thursday or at some point this week. But here in 1 Timothy, uh, we read uh, about the importance of prayer. If you'll take your Bible and just turn back a couple of pages to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Where in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, we read these words, First of all then, <clears throat> I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of our God and Savior, who, and underline this, who desires that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so on this National Day of Prayer Week, I hope you're praying for your nation. I hope you're praying for our leaders and I hope you're praying for your pastor. Amen? But I hope you're praying also for the salvation of our children. But that's just the beginning. And that's why Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life. 
to which you were called. Faith is not a one and done experience, but it's a lifelong journey. And we've got to feed our faith. We've got to grow in our faith. We've got to become obedient in our faith. But why is Paul so passionate? I mean, these are fighting words. Fight the good fight of faith. Why is he so passionate about it? Well, I think there's more than a hint in the last verse we read, and that leads us to the second point about faith, and that is not just a personal faith, but the faith. The faith. If you look at the last verse of the chapter, of chapter 6, and look at that again, Paul speaks of some who have professed and gone astray from the faith. Paul was concerned about the numbers of people he was seeing in his day who professed Christ but were straying from the faith. In chapter 1, verse 19, he mentions some who suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. You know about shipwreck around here. You had that uh, cargo container ship that turned over in the port of Brunswick, and uh, everybody saw it for a long time, amen? And it's, even though it's no longer visible, there's still stuff being cleaned up, I understand, uh, from under the water. And Paul talks in verse 19 of those who suffered shipwreck in their faith. I want to tell you, when, when somebody you know is a Christian and they have a shipwreck of faith, you can't miss it. And sometimes it takes a long time to get over that. Paul also mentions those uh, who in the last times, in chapter 4, verse 1, are, are going to fall away from the faith, and even mentions some who turned aside to follow Satan. That was happening then, and it's happening now. And all of this has a cumulative effect on the faith, the Christian faith, the church. We are seeing in our day a decline in attendance of the church, a decline of baptisms in our churches, a decline in membership of the church, and for the first time in America, we are seeing that the largest religious preference group in many, if not most, of our cities and communities is none. N-O-N-E. And that's a crisis. And that's why Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Jude, the earthly brother of Jesus put it this way famously he said I felt it necessary to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith once for all entrusted to the saints this is appeal an appeal that needs to be heard today again and again and again we need to fight we need to contend for the faith our children our community our cities our countries they they don't need a faith that's like a pillow to make us comfortable. They need something that they can have as a firm foundation to rest their entire lives on. But how do we get that? How do we get that? We're going to do a lot of reading. You really can't understand this text at the end of the chapter unless you look at some other texts. But turn back to chapter 4 with me very quickly. 1 Timothy 4.11 where Timothy is being counseled by Paul and he says... Let no one look down on your youthfulness. You hear that, young people? Man, you're a person of faith. You're a powerful person. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. And until I come, give attention to the public reading of the Scripture, to exhortation and teaching, 
Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Look at what he says here in verse 15. Take pains with these things. How many of you take pains with athletics or academics? And Paul says, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident at all. Pay, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things for as you do, you will ensure salvation for yourself and also for others. Well, that's a text that deserves a whole sermon by itself. But suffice it to say that, that Paul meant business and I want you to write these two words down. He meant business about young people growing up to be generationally significant. Can you write those words down? Generationally significant. And what I mean by that, we want our young people to be strong in the faith, to be committed believers in Jesus Christ. Why? Because Paul says they will not only save themselves, but they will save those who are witnessing them. And so that's faith. And Paul says uh, one of the keys, if you want to bring your children up, you've got to not only make sure they have personal faith, but you've got to make sure they're invested in the faith, the Christian faith, the church. Now, the second thing I wanted you to see in this text is family. And some of you are saying, I didn't read anything about family in our text this morning. Surely there are better texts for family, but you have to remember who Paul is writing to. Uh, was, did Paul ever get married? No. Did he have any children of his own? No, he did not. And so you can read that from uh, understanding the New Testament. Uh, he was uh, singly focused on planting churches and preaching the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that he, doesn't ha he didn't have children in the faith. Amen? And uh, he says in verse 2 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, he refers to Timothy in a very precious way as my true child in the faith over in second timothy he refers to him as my beloved son and in philippians he said i have no one else like him he cared deeply about timothy and other many others who were sons and daughters in the faith and in this last chapter i feel he's speaking as a father would to a son now what does he say you got to pay attention here. He reminds Timothy, first of all, that God gives life to all things. Do you believe that? Say amen if you do. In Genesis, every time God created something, uh, the Bible says it is good. And then he created man and woman, male and female. And then he said what? Anybody know? It is very good. <laughs> Say Amen. And so God created the family, the man, to be a father and a mother, as a male, sorry, a father and a, and a male and a husband, and the woman to be a mother and a wife, and that resulting in children. That is God's plan. God created sexual activity. God created sexuality. And it is very good why did God give us uh, sex? Two reasons. Uh, to create intimacy between a husband and a wife in marriage. The Bible gives no other latitude but that. And so it creates intimacy. What does the word intimacy mean? It means into me you see. And so we see into each other in many ways as husbands and wives, but 
in that area, oh, it is such a, a marvelous experience. And then, of course, he gave us sex uh, to have the privileged stewardship of bringing new life into the world. And so that's God's plan. Now, we live in a fallen world. The world is all over the place today. When it comes to what a family is, what a male and female is, what a husband and wife are, and all over the place when it comes to sexuality. And there's so many terms today we're hearing for the first time we know nothing about. And, and, uh, or maybe you know something about it, but you're hearing these terms like you know, transgender and, and gender dysphoria and, and, and binary and non-binary. And if you read some articles, uh, they have come up with as many as 60 to 70 different genders. And that's troubling. That's confusing. But Christ came to redeem this messy, troubling, sinful, and confused and fallen world. What does Paul say about Christ in that regard? Look at verse 13 of chapter 6 again. He says, Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. What, what is that? What, what did Jesus say to Pilate? Well, if you look, the, the longest thing recorded that he said to Pontius Pilate is in John 18, 37. And I want you to look at it because Jesus speaking to Pilate said this, You are right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Did you hear that? A lot of people say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't follow what the Bible says. I'm a Christian. I don't necessarily follow what Jesus said. And what, what has Jesus said? You know, he's the standard for truth, amen? He's absolute truth. That's already been said by Brother Josh this morning. You know, he is the way, the what? Truth and the life. And in the Gospels, Matthew 19, if you want to check it out, in Matthew 19, Jesus affirmed God's plan that we are created male and female and that when a husband and wife are joined together in marriage, the two become what? One flesh. And then he said, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Yes, I know all the arguments and I know all the reasons that the world states otherwise. But listen again to what Paul says at the end of this chapter, chapter 6, verse 20. He says, and just listen to the pathos. Oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly chatter and opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. And so this is what it all comes down to. If we want the family to survive... If we want our kids to make it through this world that is, does not have a biblical worldview, if we want them to have a biblical worldview, we have got to stand where Paul stood. We've got to stand where Jesus stood. We've got to stand where the Bible teaches that we could stand, should stand. And specifically, I want to give you uh, three things today, and I'm going to break another one of those down a little bit. I'm going to spend a little time here. There's three things I want you to think about as to how we can do this. Number one, we must advocate for the biblical role model of the family. We must advocate. And there's so much advocating going on for LGBTQ rights in entertainment, in social media, 
in college classrooms, in campuses, in governments, in legislatures, in courtrooms, from the NFL to Disney, there's big money and great power behind it. But what I'm saying to you, and in spite of all of that, in spite of all that, what I'm saying to you today is let us not give up and let us not give in on the traditional family. Let us add, amen. Let us advocate for heterosexual marriage and traditional family values. Now, and I'm giving you a new way to debate. You know, you may not want to argue with anybody because there's so many folks out there that have a completely different view on this and probably some here today and some that are going to be listening to this video and they may turn it off right now. But what I want to say to you is, isn't it okay if I advocate for what I believe? If I can't do that anymore, where, where are we going in this world? So there are other people advocating for other things. Let's advocate for what we believe. Let's not give up the public square. Let's not give up the classroom. Let's not give up the community. And I'm not saying get out there with placards and, 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 and beat people over the head with a Bible. And I, I've never seen that in my life, by the way. Have you? I've never seen anybody get beat on the head with a Bible. You know, so I, I'm waiting to see that still. People say that all the time. I'm not saying do that. What I am saying is that don't give up and don't give in and get out there and talk it up. We may feel like we're living in exile. Remember in the, New, the Old Testament when the people of Israel went into exile over two periods of time and they lived in exile, but God raised up people in exile like Daniel who refused to stop praying, though he was thrown into the lion's den, and like Esther, who said, I've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. We've got to learn to stand up, even in this period where we feel like we're in exile. And let me remind you, there's great money and there's great power behind the other side, the other team. But I want to remind you today, we serve a great and powerful God. And the Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so we must advocate for the biblical role model of the family. Secondly, we must model and mentor the biblical role of family. And that goes for all of us as parents and grandparents. What we say with our lips, we must demonstrate with our lives. Why? Because values are not only taught, they are caught and I think our kids know whether we mean business about something and uh, probably next week when you have parent-child dedication I'll bet you brother Chris reads from Deuteronomy chapter 5 which talks about laying a foundation of the word of God and it says we must talk with them about when you sit in your house when you walk by the way when you lie down and when you rise up why because for all the powerful influences in the world parents and family are still the most influential and so you got a lot in your control today in the family. And then uh, one of the things I want to say, I want to go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4 for a moment, and we find some words that Paul says to Timothy about his life. He says, pay close attention. Pay close attention. And I want to pick up on that because I think we need to pay close attention to ourselves and our families. Pay, how many of y'all are married? Come on. Pay close attention. 
Pay close attention to your marriage. I think I told y'all when I preached here back in, in January, if you were here, uh, about how my wife and I sort of met, got together for the first time. I knew her, we knew each other, but I was preaching a little revival out in, in the country in Alabama, and she showed up there, and, uh, and she heard me preach. And after it was over, she met me in the parking lot, and she said, I love you. And then she kissed me on the cheek and turned around and walked away. And I said, follow that car. <laughs> Wow. You know, I say it backwards. Wow. <laughs> but here's the rest of the story. Here's the rest of the story. What's the rest of the story? Here it is. How did I get out to that little church? A man I worked with knew I was a ministerial student, and they were having a youth revival, and they needed somebody to come out and preach, and I came out and preached for him. And a few weeks later, I came to work, and we worked. He was the manager of a produce section at a Winn-Dixie and I could tell he'd been crying. It was red all around the eyes while he was going through the squash out there on the counter, you know. And, and I said, what is wrong? He said, my wife left me. I had just been in their house just within the last two months. I sat at their table with that wife who cooked dinner and, and the, with the kids. And I said, what happened? And he said, I have no idea. But here's my point. I wonder if he's paying attention. I want to tell you, you need to pay attention to your husband and wife. You need, and I'm going to tell you this. I've been doing pre- and post-marital counseling for many, many years. And what I mean by that, getting ready people to get married, and then we have problems after they get married, coming back again. And I'm consistent. I preach the same things before, teach the same things before and after marriage. Typical adjustmental conflicts in marriage. But here's something I want you to notice. Men, sit up and take notice. We kid a lot about women changing their minds, but I'm going to tell you something. When a woman makes up her mind to leave a marriage, it's a rare thing for her to change her mind. I mean, it's like that song, she's lost that love and feeling. And she's gone, gone, gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So guys, pay attention. The second thing I want you to do is pay attention to your kids. Spend time with them. Have fun with your kids. Teach them how to work. Don't do it all yourself. Teach them how to do it. Pay attention to them. Mental health is so critical today. Are you reading the papers about young people in college away from home taking their lives? And there's a lot of reasons that that's happening, but I have a feeling that one of the reasons is, is we've moved away from God's created order, and there's confusion when we're living in God's created order for the family and the family life. I think things are different. Everybody has anxiety, but the family is designed to deal with that, to diffuse that, to help people get through it. And so pay attention to what you're hearing what your kids are hearing, what they're seeing, what they're watching, what they're being taught, and who they're hanging out with. Listen to them and what they say. Even if you don't agree, have some debate. Debate's just not about what happens on a debate team or on television or on CNN or Fox News. It's about what happen should be happening in your homes because you've got to contend for the faith. And so even if you don't agree, if they don't agree, talk about it. And, and, and set clear and safe boundaries. You know, I know 
we, when we moved to Warner Robins, uh, our kids went to a little elementary school and the community began to grow. And, and I used to notice I came down the highway and, and they had a huge playground, but they were all gathered more toward the building. And then guess what? The, they decided to put a fence up. And guess what? Those kids were using the whole playground. And see, that's why we set boundaries for our kids. So they can enjoy more of life, not less of life. And I doubt if many young people today will agree with what I just said, but believe me, it's true. So pay attention to your kids. Thirdly, pay attention to your church family. Several years ago, I was finishing up a graveside funeral, and I watched as a member of my church, after that graveside funeral, wandered off across the graveyard. And I decided to follow him because curiosity will kill the clergy. And that's another story. (laughs) And so I I went out and I followed him and I came up behind him. He was looking down at two graves. And his last name was on those graves, same last name. And I said, who are these people? And he said, they were my sons. And I said, what happened to them? And he said, both of them died of AIDS, AIDS, acquired immune deficiency syndrome. And that was a shocking moment because I had known that man for many years and worked alongside him on committees in my church and worshiped with him, but I'd never heard him speak of these two sons and this thing that predated my ministry at that church. And There's more to the story that I can tell, but here's the thing I want you to understand. We need to pay attention to one another in the church. We need to listen to one another. We need to be there for one another. People are going through stuff. They're hearing stuff out there in the world. And we need to pay attention in the church family. Can I get an amen? Amen. I know one church I was an interim at, there was a young woman who got in with a bad group of folks. I think they were bad and she got all confused about sexuality and I mean she was deciding that she wasn't a female or she wasn't sure she was a female and and I mean people went to war over that in a nice way. The good fight, okay, and they stayed with her. They listened to her. They worked with her. I was so happy this weekend when I looked on Facebook and she was going to a prom with a guy. Amen? And that's what we got to do. We got to do. We may not have all the answers, but we know someone who does. And remember what Paul told Timothy as we pay close attention, we save lives. Just one more story. <laughs> this, is hard. this is hard stuff, isn't it? I mean, I, I struggled with this message. And I got frustrated. And one afternoon, I just quit. And I went outside. And I went out to my, going out my mailbox. And I'm going to go for a... 5K walk, I do that a lot. And as I came out the door, a voice was from across the street. And, and the guy said, hey, Owen Bozeman. And I looked up. I didn't know who he was. And he was coming out of somebody's house. He was doing an inspection for them. They were about to sell their house. And, and he walked over. He said, I'm so-and-so. I said, oh, I remember you. And I said, man, you're doing well. He goes, yeah. I was in a lot of trouble growing up, wasn't I? I lied and said I didn't remember that. (laughs) But he was. He was in a lot of trouble. But I want to tell you something. He and his sister, in the hardest times, they were sort of taken in by their maternal grandmother, who was an incredible lady. 
And often it just didn't look like much was happening, much was changing. But now he owns his own business. He's married. He has kids. They teach four-year-olds in Sunday school in another Baptist church in town. And they love their church and they love their pastor. And the reason I gave you that is because all of this happened because somebody paid attention. And you may think, well, I'm paying attention. It's not doing any good. You don't know yet. You just keep doing what you're doing. So there's faith in family. But in closing, there is the future. And I want you to look back at 1 Timothy 6.19. It says, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. We want our marriages, our families, our kids, our community, our city, our state, our country to have a good foundation for the future. Amen? But we think, a lot of times, when we think about a good foundation, we think about economics and money. And I know money's important. I know they don't use money in heaven, but it comes in pretty handy down here, doesn't it? So I know money's important. But I want you to look back at 1 Timothy one more time, verse 6. And uh, verse chapter 6, I'm sorry. Chapter 6, verse 6. And I want us to read down a little bit. And I know I'm running out of the Baptist hour here, but hang on. Verse 6, 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For what we have, we have brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out of the world either. Did you see that? And if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil and, by, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the what? From the faith, we talked about that earlier, and pierced themselves with many griefs. Verse 11, but flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Now pick up something we've already read, and let's go back to it again. Verse 17, see it? Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And so we're concerned about the future. But the future is not all about money in the bank or in the U.S. Treasury, although we wish we had more. Just focusing on money is a false hope. Did you see what he said? A false hope. And it leads into ruin and destruction. I'm going to tell you today, it's as simple as this. Life is like the game of Monopoly. And when the game is up, all the pieces go back in the box. And when you die, and they put you in a box, then you're going to be leaving behind everything you had to somebody else. After your funeral, people are going to go home, and they're going to drink iced tea and eat chicken salad and potato salad and fried chicken, and they're going to do that, and then everything you have is going to belong to them. That's the way it works, amen? <laughs> and so we need to understand we cannot base our lives on our possessions, but there's a different way to measure wealth, and that is to build up a treasury of a life well-lived. Righteousness, goodness, faith, love, gentleness, good works, generosity, 
And perseverance, he says. You've got to persevere through it. And these are the things that are, he says, life indeed. And these will be remembered in heaven. So why not build your life on them now? You know, compared to the rest of the world, we're rich. Do you know that? But we're surprisingly lacking in hope and in joy. Ask yourself the question right now, am I happy? Then ask yourself, how much stuff do you have? But it really doesn't take much stuff to have joy and hope. And this was illustrated to me several years ago by a lovely family I came to know when I was doing mission work in the poor Eastern European country of Moldova, which has come up recently as a possible future target of Russia. And it would devastate me to see that happen. But they were Christians, and we went to do a mission in their city. And I stayed in their small home my first trip there. A few years later, I picked up the phone in Warner Robins, and on the other end of the phone was the voice of the only child that spoke good English, the middle daughter that they had. And, and I said, where are you? And she said, we're in Atlanta. Atlanta, are you just visiting? No, we came to stay. And somehow, someway, the whole family had immigrated here to the United States legally, by the way. And Debbie and I went up to Marietta where they were being housed. I don't know if you know Marietta. is a, is a, is a place where a lot of people who come in legally uh, are, get a start, maybe for about three months in some apartments there. And we walked into their apartment, and the only thing they had in that apartment was the clothes on their back and a mattress on the floor. We said, well, we're going to take them out to eat. They'd never been out to eat in a, an American restaurant. And we took them to a Ryan's, <laughs> a buffet. And man, that was awesome watching them. And then the kids, they saw that, that soft ice cream machine. And they saw all that stuff you could put on soft ice cream and, and uh, gummy bears especially. And you know, they don't put any cups out for you to put the gummy bears in. They got the gummy Nazis there. They don't want you to take too many, okay? And so, but when I told those waitresses what I was doing, they went back to the back and they got some big cups and they said, you just tell them to fill them up with gummy bears. <laughs> and, you know, and we took them out and we went home and uh, dropped them off. And on the way home, this is the thing, on the way home, this is what happened. A little girl said from the back seat, America is a great country. Amen. Can you imagine that? The clothes on their back, a mattress on the floor, and a cup full of gummy bears, and America is a great, great nation. Well, I want you to know, I can't talk more about them this morning, but I want you to know they're doing fine. In fact, they are really the American dream. Here's my point. You are already here. In America, by all comparisons in the world, you're rich. You have more than you need. But let me ask, do you have hope? Do you have joy? And do you have life indeed? If not, it's waiting right outside these doors here today. It's waiting when you open your heart to what the Bible teaches and the truth of Jesus Christ about faith, the family, and the future. These things are worth fighting for. And I don't know if you remember, but one of the most famous verses in First and Second Timothy say this, I have fought the good fight. 
I have finished the race or the course. I have kept the faith. And in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me. Amen? No matter what's happening in the world around us at any time, at any given moment, we have a great future. And so let's keep fighting the good fight for faith, for family, and the future. And let us stand with generations gone by and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Would you pray with me, God? We thank you for an opportunity to worship you today, an opportunity to hear this word preached. There was a lot of it. And I thank you for the patience of this congregation to hear the word preached today. And I just pray, God, that you'll bless us as we consider in our own lives how truly rich we are, but also the opportunity we have to fight for and contend for the faith and for our families and for our future. And God, we know it won't be easy when we walk out these doors. The power of the culture is all around us, but we have a greater power, and that is a power that raised Jesus from the dead. And if you could raise Jesus from the dead, you can raise us up to be the kind of people that we should be. And God, I know there may be some folks really hurt today because what I said they don't agree with. Lord, I, I can't do anything about that. I can only stand on your truth, but I am sensitive that there's some folks going through some stuff because of what they've heard, what they've been told, what they're feeling inside of their own body. And the affirmation they're getting about it on one hand and the, the anger on another. God, bless them. Help them to know that the same God who created Adam and Eve is their God. Same God. We sang about it earlier. And I pray you'll comfort them and help them to know that by looking to you, they can find their way through to the person that you've created them to be. And Father, I pray today that you'll help us on this week of the National Day of Prayer to really cry out to you on behalf of our nation, on behalf of our children, certainly on behalf of Pastor Chris as he starts treatments this week. God, let it be real and let it begin in us. And I pray it in Christ's name, amen.